You're listening to Dr. Tony Nader, the podcast, dedicated to exploring the full potential of human physiology and mind with focus on ancient and modern techniques of self-development. Spend some time with Dr. Nader, who is leading the way in the science of consciousness and begin your journey to better understanding the relationship of mind and body, consciousness and physiology right now. With all the different meditation techniques and mindfulness apps available today, it can get very confusing knowing what the differences are. In this episode, Dr. Nader discusses how mindfulness and transcendental meditation work and provides the answer to the question, are all meditations the same? Hello everyone, I hope all are doing well. It's great to be again together, uh, even though by distance, but I know that we have a wide range of nations and places and individuals joining, and it's a great joy. I hope all is well and will be able to answer your questions about this very important topic. I'm being told that Antonio here, Felipe, I hope all you're doing well, Carlina, Christoph and Nina have joined us, and as are many other, it seems, hundred people, hundreds of people, including Luis, hello, Angela, hope all is great, Coral and Jess, greetings from the Netherlands. This is where we are today, ready to talk about transcendental meditation and mindfulness. What's the difference, how we can compare them, how we can understand them. So I guess everybody got the one minute almost to join a little bit. And so let's start this very important topic, which talks about the self-development, how we use our mind, how we use our awareness. It can be sounding complex, but it's actually very, very simple. And we'll try to make it as simple as possible. Now, when we talk about transcendental meditation and techniques of mindfulness, it's obviously dealing with the mind, something that happens on the level of consciousness, on the level of awareness, on the level of maybe one wonders what are the differences between the intellect, the feeling, desires, hopes, emotions, all of these things that are happening in an abstract way that are not our physical body, but of course they have a very important relation with the physical body. And at the same time, they are happening really on the mental level, on the level of awareness. So to, to untangle this, I'm going to take some analogies. The analogies have their limitations, but they'll help us to understand what we're talking about. First, let's take something very, really basic which is consciousness and awareness. What is the difference? Is there a difference? We're going to say that you can be conscious but not aware of something. Of course, if you're a conscious being, awake and standing somewhere, you might not be aware of all the things that happen around you. So in order to be aware, you have to be conscious. But if you are conscious, it's not necessary that you are aware of something, what is going on. So what makes a difference is your attention, where you put your attention. And attention means directing awareness towards something, towards an object, towards breathing, towards a thought, towards a feeling. And so we ask ourselves, what is this attention and what is consciousness actually? 
We will come to a conclusion about what is consciousness a little later, but in order to understand it, let's imagine it to be an ocean, a huge ocean. And this ocean can have its own depths and can have its own qualities. So you can imagine that there can be an ocean which is shallow, there can be ocean which is very deep, there can be ocean which is very wide, and we're going to, for now, assume that there are different types of oceans, different depths of ocean, different widths of ocean. We can say, for example, the ocean of consciousness of a cat is less than the ocean of consciousness of a human being. And it's fair to assume that. Now, among human beings, we can have also different states of consciousness, this different states of this ocean. It can be a dark ocean, and we can say maybe it's an ocean where there is no light, and let's imagine this is like deep sleep. It can be an ocean in which things are happening, uh, but we are not seeing clearly. We see all kinds of things, but they are not really sharp. And that can be the state of dreaming, for example. And it can be a state of the ocean where we are awake, where we see things more or less clearly. But in this wakeful state of our ocean, and so from now on when we say your ocean, my ocean, we think we're thinking your consciousness, my consciousness. So my consciousness is an ocean, your consciousness is an ocean. They are a little different. They have different things inside that take place. And this ocean is colored in so many ways. And my awareness can focus on different aspects of what is happening in that ocean, in that ocean of consciousness. So even during the waking state, I can have my attention go on one wave in the ocean, on one fish in the ocean, on something taking place in the ocean. And I can also have no awareness of any specific aspect of the ocean, but my body maybe would respond to certain things that will happen. Let's say I am standing there and then I'm not aware of something. Suddenly something touches me. I become aware of it. So my attention is directed towards that thing that is happening. So this ocean can be turbulent, can be calm, can be murky, can be turbid, can be clear, and it can be also sharp very wide, settled, open, clear, and full of light. And this is really the states of consciousness that we have, even during waking state. If the ocean is turbid and is not clear, we're going to say the individual is feeling not so clear in their awareness. They are drowsy. Or if it's too turbid, they might even have a feeling, because one will wonder what is a feeling, for example, if it's not so beautiful or feeling bizarre or is kind of full of dust or mud or whatever, then it's possible that one would feel like depression. We could say then the depression is there where there is no clarity, there is heaviness in our ocean. If the ocean is agitated on the surface and there are many waves and they are fighting each other, and you are on the surface of the ocean, which means your awareness is on the surface of the ocean, and the awareness is tossed around by all kinds of things, then there is agitation, there can be fear, there can be anxiety, there can be insecurity. 
And if this agitation is quite large, quite big, you might not even be able to feel many things and you will become uh, like something that is tossed around, like a ship or something, tossed around by the waves. So you are not even aware of things and you feel your life is going on without necessarily a true purpose, a vision of what is going to happen to you, etc. So how do we deal with all of that? What do we do about this ocean of consciousness? This is where transcendental meditation, this is where mindfulness techniques, they can come to help. And mindfulness is really awareness, to move the awareness somewhere. Uh, the term that is used is sati, is in Buddhism or in, in Japanese or in Sanskrit. Sati means mindfulness or awareness. So where is your awareness? You want to navigate in that ocean and you want to reach somewhere. You want to grow, you want to achieve something in your life. So you now move your awareness to different aspects. So you can start by practicing how to move your awareness. And by practicing how to move your awareness, these techniques of mindfulness tell you start, for example, of being aware of your breathing. So you take your awareness on your breathing. So if you're on the surface of that ocean and you are whatever state is the ocean, now you take your awareness to one wave of the ocean, one aspect of the ocean, one thing that is happening in that ocean. And you let your mind be with that. And what this does, it, it calms you down, it relaxes your worries because the other things get a little bit out of the way. And you practice awareness, you practice putting attention onto something. And that research has of course shown that this helps in some relaxation and some improvement in one's life. And there are different ways you can do it. So mindfulness or being aware is the state, whereas the techniques of mindfulness are quite different. There are many kinds of techniques. For example, there is a technique of focused attention, which means instead of following the breathing and where it goes and how it goes, which is also one aspect of focused attention, but you can make it even a concentration. For example, you take an object or an aspect of your body, of your surrounding, and you put your attention on it and you don't let your attention go to other things. So whenever your attention tries to go out, you bring it back to the object. You bring it back without judgment, without uh, stress or strain about it. But when you realize like this, your attention is going, you bring it back to that point, bring it back to that point. And that again helps to train the mind to be away from objects of attention that can be harmful to the well-being of the mind and the, to the feelings, etc. And gradually allows us to understand what is going on in this surface of the ocean. So in this case, we are using our ability to focus the attention, to move the attention. Now you can have open mindfulness or open attention, which is you don't mind where your attention goes, you just follow it and you are aware, you become aware of this and then aware of this and then aware of that. And you let your mind float in that way, like swimming on the surface of the ocean and experiencing different things. That is also can be enjoyable, can 
get you away from the turbulence and the agitation. But the turbulence and the agitation are still there. However, you are kind of avoiding them and helping to relax a little bit uh, the nervous system and the whole physiology. Because the physiology and the nervous system are intimately connected with what's happening in the mind. And this change of awareness, this kind of putting attention on something, focusing attention, they actually develop certain parts of the brain specific to the function that one is doing. So if you are having a focused attention, it's going to be a certain part, let's say, of the prefrontal cortex that is used to the executive function that helps to de develop that, that will actually develop separately. If you're having in your mindfulness technique a teaching about, for example, compassion, about feeling about things, and which means if you encounter something in your ocean, your ocean can be encountering human beings, situations, because these are the different things that we can encounter on the outside, then uh, if you move your affect, your feelings in a positive way, in a nourishing way, in an uh, enhancing way, then you can also have a reaction that is positive and that influences different parts of the nervous system. So this is very helpful and has been shown in some studies to help different aspects of the mind and body. The transcendental meditation technique, on the other hand, does not try to direct the attention towards anything. So it is not a concentration technique. It is not open-mindedness on the surface level, which we can call a contemplation technique, which means thinking about things or trying to have feelings for things. It's actually a technique that takes you to the depths of the ocean. So what transcendental meditation does is instead of being on the vertical level of putting attention to different aspects of what is happening, it takes you in a transcending way, in a, in a vertical way if you like, to dive towards the inner and inner values, the deeper self that is the depths of the ocean, the dimension of the ocean becomes expanded and your awareness reaches deeper and deeper and deeper levels of that ocean, of your consciousness. What happens is that your consciousness actually expands and you truly encounter levels of this reality of consciousness that are calmer and calmer and calmer as you go deeply in. And this happens because of the nature of the mind. The nature of the mind is to search for greater happiness. If you have a problem, you want to resolve it. If there is something that attracts you, you want to go for it. And if there is more beauty, you go to it, more joy, you want it, more love, you desire it. And all of this takes you to these different, different layers of greater and greater values in all aspects of life. So the mind is always searching. In mindfulness, we direct the mind towards specific things. In transcendental meditation, we take the mind inward. And inward means towards the depths of the ocean. And since all the intelligence and all the power of the ocean comes from its depth, from its dimension, then the mind is naturally drawn towards this inner value, which is within us, inside of us. 
physics have shown that the universe is actually made of surface values that are themselves made out of molecules. Molecules are made out of atoms, atoms made out of quarks, elementary particles. And as you go deeper and deeper, you have fields. And these fields are more and more unified. So we have used to have electricity and magnetism. Now we know electromagnetism is one field that appears as two different fields. And then there are different excitations of this field that appear as quanta, which means small quantities of photons, etc. And then these join with other kinds of elementary particles to form the atoms, the molecules, the molecules get together to form the universe. So we know from physics that this is also the reality, that as you go deeper into the reality, you find more and more unified values. And when you come to deeper than electromagnetism and for weak forces and strong forces, and then ultimately gravity, you get a unified field, which is the source of all creativity and intelligence and the laws of nature and the power and all the developments of what we see happening in the entire universe. In this ancient Vedic tradition that comes from thousands of years of practice of inward direction, brought to light by Maharishi Mahesh Yogi in this age, it really describes that the bottom of the ocean or the depths of the ocean of consciousness is actually the unified field. It describes it in the same terms. And it says that consciousness is the source of all the fluctuations that create the outer values. And by diving towards that field, we are diving towards something which is most fulfilling, which is our own self ultimately. And that is the depths, the deepest values of the ocean itself. And that is what transcendental meditation does. How does it do it? Just by turning inwards. When you turn inwards, then the mind, which is naturally searching for more, finds an attraction and by itself, guided by its own self, it dives deep towards this inner being. And what happens with that is, as the ocean is calmer and calmer in its depths, the mind calms down and calms down and reaches that state of fulfillment, which in Vedic terms is called samadhi. If you like in Japanese or in the Buddhist culture, it can be satori or nirvana or in Chinese pinyin, what is called that state of inner quietness, inner fullness, inner awakening, and what we can call enlightenment. So this is the profound difference between transcending and having the mind directed towards something. Now, this transcendental process has very powerful effects. It's not just to enjoy these few moments of transcending and feeling blissful and inner happiness, but it actually gives you a perspective where your awareness is settled within. And then you can see all that is happening in the ocean from a very profound, balanced, holistic perspective. And that is why people who practice transcendental meditation have shown greater intelligence, greater ability to relate to others, their health improves because mind and body are deeply rested and the body gets rejuvenated. And there are 600 scientific research studies and more than that now about the effectiveness of this technique 
to develop the full brain, actually, the full potential of the human nervous system. We can say that the nervous system is like a very complex computer that has many, many processors. And so there are processors for attention, there are processors for feeling, for hearing, for touch, for all different kinds of processors that relate to memory, to the future anticipation, to all different feelings. And these are working together sometimes and sometimes working independently. So one can, of course, improve each of these processors, if you like, by training the brain to think this way, training the mind to think that way, because ultimately all that you put your attention on grows stronger in your life. So when your awareness moves somewhere, it really enhances and nourishes and strengthens that part of the physiology or that part of the nervous system. What transcendental meditation does is by taking you deeper to the depths of the ocean and expanding your awareness, it has been shown to develop the entire brain and there is greater coherence between the front and the back, the right and the left, and people experience this as a state of inner bliss, inner happiness, inner stability, inner strength, and express it on the outer with outer creativity and intelligence, making right decision in a spontaneous way, not having to analyze every action or to think at length about things, even though one has to, of course, analyze and decide and use one's intellect. But because there is inner clarity and inner peace, then this becomes spontaneous and not contrived or manipulated on the outside. So this is a very important difference uh, in these different techniques. Now, to summarize it, if you like, in terms of the systems of uh, meditation and yoga and all of this, I would refer to uh, the systems of yoga because most of these systems have been translated or they come from the full yoga. And yoga has been defined by Patanjali, who wrote the Yoga Sutras thousands of years ago, that yoga is the settling of the mind. Now, we said consciousness and awareness, so what is the mind? The mind is actually all of these waves or waviness that happen in your ocean of consciousness. That's what we can call the mind. And when your awareness goes to a wave, then this wave can be a thought, can be you know, a global feeling, can be an emotion, can be a desire, can be a hope. It can be different things. These are the waves within the ocean. And the yoga means the union, the full union. And that is when the mind settles down, the ocean is completely settled and clear. And your awareness is on that level of pure, quiet being. And in that level, the mind is in a state of union, of unity with the totality of all that there is. That is where the feeling of wholeness comes from because you are at the source of all creativity and all intelligence. So Patanjali says, yoga chitta vritti nirodhaha. Yoga is union, the final really achievement of what yoga is, is by the settling of the waves, the reverberations, the activity of the mind or of the awareness. And that is where we reach that state of fullness, that state of wholeness. 
Now, to have full yoga as defined by uh, Patanjali, and for those who are interested in yoga, really, uh, maybe this is an additional uh, aspect to think and discuss. There is the eight parts, eight limbs of yoga. And the eight limbs of yoga has these different aspects. Out of them, one can think that mindfulness is, of course, there. And they start like this, yam, niyam, asanas, pranayam, pratyahar, dharana, dhyan, samadhi. So yam, niyam, for example, yam is how to behave in a proper way, which means, for example, it has satya in it, which is truthfulness, to be truthful. It has ahimsa in it, which means non-violence. It has non-stealing, that you don't steal things. So these are aspects that are taught in mindfulness also. They are also taught in different cultures, different religions, different belief systems, of course, because these are traditions that teach the individual how to get to that state of ultimate union. So these are all great, and one can follow, of course, one's tradition, one's belief system, or learn from the mindfulness uh, approaches these different things, or from whatever program you like, or tradition, or culture you are in. And they are very helpful because if you have violence, for example, towards others, that disturbs your ocean. It creates an agitation in the ocean. Because everything really ultimately comes to consciousness. Without consciousness, we cannot dream, we cannot hope, we cannot think, we cannot expect, we cannot love, we cannot do anything. So consciousness is really the representation or the global summary of our reality. So you can say even a touch on the hand influences consciousness. Even a word influences consciousness. A sight, music can influence consciousness. So you have yam, niyam, for example. In niyam you have cleanliness, things that are on the outer value that have to be done because even the body has to be clean, the food that has to be eaten is, uh, has to be proper. The reality of everything influences our body. And so in this Ashtanga Yoga, in these eight limbs of yoga, you have all of these things are present and they are divided into two parts. So Bahiranga and Antaranga. Bahiranga means the external yoga and Antaranga is the internal yoga. There are four then outside. Then you come, of course, you wonder what is our exercise that we call yoga, and that is asanas. So you go yam, niyam, asanas is the exercises. And what they do is help the body to get stronger and help the body to get uh, organized and structured properly and stretch so that this union is facilitated. And then you have pranayama, which are breathing exercises. Then pratyahar is drawing the senses inward. This becomes part of the antaranga yoga, the four parts which are internal rather than external. And then you have dharana, which is fixity, that is concentration. Dhyan, which is different types of meditation. And then samadhi. Now, all of these have been thought that in order to get to samadhi, which is the ultimate state that the transcendental meditation gives you, you have to go from one to the other, to the other, to the other, because all of them influence. In the early 50s, mid-50s, Maharishi Mahesh Yogi, who is a great sage that came from India and taught by Ramananda Saraswati, who is his master, from the Vedic tradition, the most profound yogic tradition, 
he thought that these eight limbs are actually limbs which means if you pull on any one of them the others come along and therefore you don't have to wait and go through all the steps until you reach samadhi which is this transcendental state that is the awareness that is on the depths of the ocean, the full silent level of being, experiencing wholeness and being unshaken by the outer values, not being anymore a football of situations and circumstances, but being really the master of one's destiny, because one is sitting at the level where everything is decided, from where everything is organized, which is the laws of nature, the seat and the home of natural law. So by transcending directly, in a simple, easy way, you reach that samadhi and all the other aspects actually come onto you in a very simple way, which means the desire to be, have uh, truth, the desire to non-stealing, the desire to do right things, the, the softness of your breathing, the ability to behave properly, the ability to be settled within oneself even though acting on the outside in a very positive and strong way come as a byproduct, as a side benefit of transcending. So that's the difference between transcendental meditation and the other aspects. Some of the teachers of mindfulness, they say that you know, mindfulness is kind of a difficult technique. You have to practice, it's not easy. Um, you have to go through and be patient and do it, etc., etc. And transcendental meditation, on the contrary, is extremely simple, extremely easy. So the two techniques may aim to the same thing, but they are very, very different and they have different results, different ways and a different speed. So transcendental meditation, you have to take a few days to learn it. It requires a teacher, that's why it requires some time, four or five days, uh, two three hours a day, and then uh, the teacher is there and following you, and that's why it costs more, because there is time that is given to the teacher. The other techniques are taught very easily in a way, but they require more attention, and then they can be taught in different ways, as you might all know through different apps and like that. But investing in Transcendental meditation is something which I feel is very, very important and I would invite everyone who's interested in self-development, if they've tried also other things which might be really fine and nice, is no problem, to really try it and gain the power and energy and intelligence and harness that intelligence which is within you and which is the source of all creativity and outer ability to achieve things and live a happy life. I took a little longer and I was now given some questions that are coming here. I have from Sunita. It would be so exciting to receive a recommendation for a mantra. Mantra is a sound that is used in transcendental meditation because this is a technique, how to dive. Of course, the mind will dive guided by its own nature to go towards the self, to know oneself. but. On the way to diving, there has to be something that the mind sits on or uses, and that is a sound that has no meaning, and it's given personally to the individual in a specific way based on the tradition, and therefore you can have it through a personal teacher if you contact the sites that teach transcendental meditation like tm.org and 
look for a teacher in your area. They will be very happy to give you this instruction and follow you up carefully. Why witnessing thoughts in mindfulness doesn't allow us to transcend? Or can it happen? This is from Tina de Shelita. Uh, Tina, this is a very good question. It's because when you're on the surface of the ocean, you are getting interested by specific values and specific ideas, specific feelings, attention on specific uh, outer values. Even though it's a thought, it's a specific value. That's why we said in the Ashtanga Yoga, they divide it into two. Like Bahiranga is the external yoga and Antaranga is the internal. So the external yoga, putting attention on outer values, can be a preparation for helping the mind ultimately to transcend. And it's possible that by chance the mind can slip when one is, let's say, focusing, forcing a lot. At one point the mind gives up and lets go and finds an inner past and goes inside and then transcend. Transcend means to go beyond, to go beyond thoughts. So if you're staying on outer thoughts, you cannot transcend. You have to go within. And there is a technique of how to go within and how to transcend that is systematic and organized. And that is why we feel it's really a way that is scientific because it's reliable, it has been proven, it's repeatable, and it can be done not waiting and hoping that it will happen based on situation and circumstances. Sarah Varham is asking, how do I know if I'm doing my TM practice right? The simple answer to this, if you find it easy and you are not trying and focusing and forcing anything, then you are doing it correctly. And if you experience these inner depths, you know, your mind is settling, you are going towards the transcendent, you have your experiences that are deep and inner, if your physiology is rested or if you feel outside of meditation that you are acting and behaving in a way that is fulfilling and you are not as much exposed to stress, you're more resilient to things and you are able actually to focus and think more clearly, then it means your meditation is doing the correct job. Susan James is asking, how is focusing on your mantra different from focusing on your breath? Actually, in transcendental meditation, you don't focus on the mantra at all. There is no forcing. And these are things that you learn. This is why you need three days of checking after learning the meditation, the initiation. So you get an initiation where you get your mantra and how to use it. And then you are followed for three days uh, as individually and you are told what to do under this circumstances and this circumstances and actually focusing and forcing and trying in transcendental meditation is prohibited. And it's actually going towards the inner value. The mantra is a sound without a meaning, so we don't associate it with anything specific. And also the mantra is not keeping the mind on something superficial or on the surface. The breathing is a physical activity in the breath and keeps the mind on that activity. So it does help to relax, it can be effective, but it is not for transcending.
Gloria Ines is asking, does TM come from a religion? TM is not a religion. You know, the Veda is a knowledge, means knowledge, and there has been all kinds of interpretation of what it means, but, and what, what it does, and people have used it as a philosophy, as poetry, as techniques, as, and even, you know, Hinduism has been inspired by some aspects of the Veda, but Veda itself is a science. It's a science of being, a science of reality, a science of mind and consciousness, how to develop consciousness and how to reach these higher states. And then one can live one's religion in the fullest possible way, because when one is clear from stresses and strains, one can understand the inner spiritual values more and one can understand and live one's religion and one's relation to one's God, to the divine, in a more complete and more profound way. John Castro is asking, I stopped having thoughts. Am I still removing stress? I don't know, John, if you're practicing transcendental meditation, uh, but in transcendental meditation, thoughts are actually part of meditation. So we do not fight thoughts. We do not try to stop thoughts. And this state of transcendence is not a contrived thing. We don't try to make a mood out of it. And particularly, of course, during activity, but also certainly during meditation. You know, there has been an understanding of this insight or this sati, which is mindfulness or satori or vipassana, which is having an insight, to have an insight. And people have misunderstood this as being something that you have to do during waking. So you have to keep remembering the self. So you, even while you're speaking, then you go back to the self, you know, and so people, some people have been even taking it to almost a ridiculous level where they would speak very slowly and between each word try to remember the self. And so they say, I... Um, hungry. And between I and am and hungry, they feel I, that's mean me, so I have to think of myself. And um, and then, yeah, who is hungry? It's me who is hungry. Yeah, I realize it's me that is hungry. Therefore, I can say that I'm hungry and like that. And this is really uh, lacks spontaneity. So mindfulness is very important to be mindful, but there is a limit of manipulating the mind. There are things we don't want to be mindful of, you know, we don't, when you are doing a job, when you are, uh, you know, flying a plane, let's say, you don't want to be mindful of your breathing all the time or of what you're feeling when you are sitting, you know, because when you're sitting, actually the body cuts off many of the inputs. Otherwise, it's impossible. We have millions of inputs that come to us through body feeling but the body cuts them off so that the brain can function and can be spontaneous and do things in the right way. And so mindfulness is a practice that you do and then one has to be absolutely spontaneous and easy and outward going and not to be also hyper mindful because that can be dangerous. It reminds me of a story I, I wanted to say and now maybe is the occasion. In 1972, there was a flight uh, by Eastern Airlines, Flight 401, that was going from New York to Miami. It had 163 um, p 
people on board, including crew and, and people. And it was end of December. They're going to end of year celebrating the new year. And then they almost arrived. They wanted to land. And so the pilots put down the gear, the gear, which means the wheels on which, of course, the plane has to land. And they were retracted and they put them down. And there are three indicators, the back wheels, back gear and the front gear. And they usually the pilots have to check it out and they check out the back gears had dropped, but the front gear, the light didn't come. So they were afraid that maybe the plane will crash because as they land, there is no gear, there is no wheel on which to land in the front because the light didn't come. So they asked to go around and the control tower said, yeah, go around, of course, and fix it. The pilot was somebody who had more than 29,000 hours of experience. So it's not like somebody who doesn't know what he was doing. And there was an engineer. So they sent the engineer down to look through a hole to see if the gear is down or not. And they said they were so busy with this light, which turned out actually to be just a burnt bulb. Not that, you know, the, everything was okay, but the bulb was burnt. But they were so busy and hyper-concentrating on this bulb that they actually forgot to fly the plane properly. And unfortunately, it's a very sad story, the plane ended up crashing and killing almost all those who are on board. A few were saved. And that was because they were hyper-mindful and hyper-alert and hyper-concentrating on one aspect. And they forget a field independence, which means fly the plane. And, you know, stop being too much focused on one thing. So we have a nervous system that when it's fully developed, it can have a broad comprehension, which we call field independence. And this has been proven to happen in, with transcendental meditation. At the same time, the ability to focus on specific things. So in our life, we should be careful also not to be hyper-focusing on something and crash the plane of our life because of one thing happened, you know, some friend told you something or something happened in your, in, in your relation to somebody and then you are stressing on this and hyper-focusing on it and you forget all the beautiful things and the spontaneity and fullness of life and then you crash your life in a way because of something very specific. So we have to have that openness of the ocean, let the ocean be unbounded. And what good news about this ocean is that when you are at the depths of this full ocean, it's actually the same depths of every ocean of everybody. It's not just your ocean, but everybody's ocean. So that is why in yoga it is called the state of union, where one is unified with everything and everybody. The state which in physics we can say is what they call the unified field of all the laws of nature. So it's, you know, it's important to have also uh, spontaneity, uh, simplicity, easiness, and enjoy life in its fullness. And these techniques, they help, of course. Uh, our experience is transcendental meditation gives that profundity and depth that actually will help you to be more mindful also, you know. And in that sense, it is a mindfulness technique, but a spontaneous mindfulness technique. And other techniques are very good. They are part of the different traditions and yoga, but they have their own level of results, of course, also. So I have Alina Graham asking, does the mantra assist in creating new neural pathways? 
It must have, it's not really the mantra actually that does it. The mantra is a um, vehicle, is kind of an instrument that is used and it's the transcending that helps. So the, the mantra is helping for transcending and as we dive deeper in transcendental meditation, yes, we do have greater openness between different parts of the brain and the use of more of the reserves of the brain. Arbdas Bardas is asking, good thoughts or bad thoughts or mantra thoughts, thoughts don't bring enlightenment. Uh, yes, thoughts themselves don't bring enlightenment as such, but in transcendental meditation, the way they come and the reason why they come uh, is clearly explained by the teachers, and they are actually the expression of stress release. This has, you know, if you take the course, then you will, you will understand that. So, uh, you're right, just thinking about things and focusing on things and analyzing things on the surface is a slow way of improving. But of course one has to think, one has to, to make decisions and the right decisions, the right things that we do, feelings that we have that are good, that are positive, all of this helps, all of this helps. So mindfulness techniques and the different teachings of different traditions, of different people, uh, different sages, are all very good at all different levels. It's just that transcending is bringing a platform, a background on action and thinking and knowing, which allows every thought, every behavior, every activity to be fulfilling and most creative and in the right direction. Andy Benares, why do I feel restless during meditation? Andy, I don't know what meditation do you practice, but the mind is busy always. Mind's nature is to search for more. We can say it's like a honeybee seeking the honey or seeking the nectar in the flower. And so the bee is buzzing, buzzing, buzzing all around. Why is it restless? Because it's searching, it's searching, it's searching. Now you can take it and force it, the bee, and put it somewhere. Maybe what it will do, it will sting you, but uh, it won't want to be rested. It will stop when it finds the nectar, when it finds something. So what is attractive is what makes the mind uh, settle down. So if you are practicing techniques of concentration and like that, you will find that the mind will be restless. If you practice transcendental meditation, you will find that the mind takes inward direction. And if at sometimes it is restless, you know, the, the teacher will tell you how to deal with it and how to practice properly. And you will find that soon it will settle down. We've had many experiences of people who, you know, practice some other techniques of concentration and forcing the mind and focusing. And they say that they close the eyes and then, you know, they think they, they've been there for a long time and then they open the eyes and they feel two, three minutes have passed. And then when they've learned transcendental meditation, there are many examples like this, they sit and they close the eyes and they feel not so much time has passed and they look at the watch and they find 20 minutes have passed. And that is because it's so soothing, it's so uh, attractive to the mind that the mind settles and is there because it's attracted by its own nature to want this state of peace and happiness and restfulness inside. I think we have covered the time, it has been long. It's great to have been with everyone. 
and look forward to being with you again for other topics. All the best. Have a great summer. Thank you for tuning into Dr. Tony Nader, the podcast. And if you're interested in learning more from Dr. Nader, please follow him on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube.